Oh, I I started uh like day one of underemployment on on Monday. With underemployment. <laughs> underemployment. Okay, so so you found a job. So I have part time. I have part time work while oh, I'm hey. looking for full time, which is uh, you know. So I have a little bit of you know. So I got some breathing room, and I don't have high expenses or anything because I live with my family. So. Yeah, I worked yeah. part time for like a year and a half. Uh, oh. In the you know last couple of years, I told you about that, right? Wait, so yeah, you uh, you uh, you were fired at one point, and then well, twice, and then yeah. um, the second time I got fired, I got rehired a couple of uh, months mm-hmm. later. Uh, but then I was like, I I know the same problem is gonna emerge if I go back to the office. So uh, yeah. hey, I was I was setting the trend working from home, <laughs> and I was like. I work from home. Just pay me by the hour, but uh, let's just do it like that because I was enjoying the free time I had. Oh, that's nice. Uh, this was like early 2020, and then mm-hmm. I was supposed to start like first week of April, but then um, we all know what happened with COVID, right. and then I never ended up working there again. So I had to find another job. But I was thinking, you know what? Um, I like having this time to write and stuff. Plus, you know, the job market, you know, with COVID, I, I can't even reliably go to Canada to get a work visa anyway. So. Mm-hmm. I found this uh, part-time job and it was okay. It like, you know, paid the bills just barely, but you know, I got by. So I did mm-hmm. that for like a year and a half. And then uh, earlier this year, I returned to full-time work. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Wait a minute. So what, what's your new job at? Unless mm-hmm. you don't want to say for whatever reason. <laughs> oh, I mean, is this, I mean, I was actually going to, at one point I was going to, I was going to try to plug my LinkedIn. <laughs> oh yeah. You, you mean on the pod? Yeah. All right, let, let's. All right, I'll keep this part in, and then it'll be like the first thing people hear. So oh, let, let's have it. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So since since my job ended, um, I've been at working with a like electric vehicle, um, like charger, like charging parts manufacturing company to like make content for them and also help them with some different marketing needs. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am still in the job hunting process for, you know, work that's, you know, in the communications, like marketing communications or PR field, um, like after having done like a more sort of broad brand management um, role for a year. I see. Okay. Uh, I guess so. Any listeners out there, um, in, in the, if you're looking to hire uh, someone like Jane um, and you happen to listen to pod, uh, reach out to her. Wait, uh, is is this really enter the beginning? I'm like, y- y'all don't know me yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay, m- uh, maybe a nice way to to start the pod now, and I'll be sure to put the link to your LinkedIn in the show notes, so listeners check it out there. Okay, welcome everyone. Escape from Plan A. Uh, I'm your host Chris here with Jane, who is actually a returning guest. It's been a while since she's been on. Uh, I think it's been almost a year, if my yeah. memory serves me correctly. Yes. Yeah. Happy, and, happy to be back. Yes, and I think the last time you were on, we talked about a bunch of books, right? I think we talked uh, about Loner. Well, we right? talked about Loner by Teddy Wayne. 
Great book. Um, you all should read it if you haven't. Did we talk about Tampa? Um, no, actually, I think it? I'd recommended Tampa. Yeah, okay, all right. I must. Have, I, I think I talked without with Liza, but mm-hmm. uh, thanks for the recommendation. I enjoyed that book. Yeah, I like the episode. Right. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about other books as well. Uh, but I think Loner was the one we focused a lot on. Uh, and then, yeah, it's been too long since you've been on. But a, a few weeks ago, you had sent me some texts and you're talking about just like this fetishization of mental health, especially in women. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll let you go at it because, I mean, th- this is uh, something that that you kind of like brought to my attention. So, yeah, have at it. Oh, sure. just actually, in case people may not remember you you want to do a quick introduction who you are well okay well i'm not on social media or i'm I'm very off social media at the moment but um i'm jane i'm a i'm like an armchair trend forecaster (laughs) i would say (laughs) and um yeah i'm i'm not i've i've dabbled some in writing but um I'm yeah primarily I'm you know I'm interested in cultural commentary and I've noticed some trends and um, I was really interested in this um, in I guess this 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 trend in memoirs about like mental illness addiction um, like trauma by women and I would say these memoirs are very unique um, because these women are almost exclusively high achieving intelligent they managed despite their debilitating um debilitating difficulties and conditions somehow you get an agent and write a whole book and um do that all before the time all before they turn 40 right um, uh, yeah uh, but before going maybe we should let um listeners know how we even got acquainted with each other um oh, sure. it was like I, it, it was definitely like over a year ago and then um you had posted something in the red scare subreddit <laughs> on an episode that we had done on on the champagne sharks podcast i don't even know how you stumble upon that um actually how did you stumble upon that episode i think i think i'd followed i'd followed planning on twitter or something like that or you okay. and then um i had also at one point um pitched to plan a and then also ghost. right 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 yeah right um, <laughs> um but that was something we figured out later <laughs> or you right, I, right. I, I told you later yeah and then you posted something in a subreddit about just how you know like minority literature is so obsessed with like white people and then i read it i'm like oh my god this this person gets it and i had no idea that you're even asian or that you lived anywhere near me but you know coincidentally you happen to be both uh and then that's how we got acquainted uh, you you were over at my place a few weeks ago. We had, I had a book swap. Um, have you read any of those books? What what books did you take anyway? Uh, I, I, I got um, Lepovna, and then I also got the Scum Manifesto, and I have not started either. <laughs> <laughs> I I I took conversations with friends, which I've already read. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was it was just like leftovers. I took it. I forget I forget which other books I took, but. Yeah, I'm in the midst of Moby Dick right now. I'm reading it for a book club, and it's uh-huh. it's it's a struggle. So, <laughs> oh, wait, that's very relatable. I'm reading Kierkegaard. <laughs> I'm reading either or read Kierkegaard. Right, right, because of the Elif uh, Batman book, right? Yes, yes, which yes. is which I really did love. And then Kierkegaard, it's um, it's like you know, like brand cereal or whatever. I know that it's good for me. I have to use mm. my brain so it doesn't atrophy. <laughs> but it's very difficult. It's very dense. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we're we're both like in the raisin brand stage of our, our reading. Right. Okay. Right. So back to the topic. Uh. So yeah, mental health. 
you're saying that, yeah, it's always these very well-to-do, highly accomplished, elite class women uh, who otherwise are living great lives. Um, They have dream jobs. They're living in probably fabulous apartments in fabulous cities. But they're like, I, I have this or that. Yeah, like, oh, so what are you feeling? Does it like piss you off? Like, what, what is it? What does it make I you mean, feel? I mean, the narrative is so predictable. I guess, like, starting from like Elizabeth Wurzel, um had really started that trend. Did she Prozac. die recently? She did, but it wasn't oh, damn, from it yeah. was from cancer, though. Um, mm. th- although she did like have um, like a suicide, like suicide attempts. And, How old was she? Like 40, 50? She yeah, couldn't she have been was, that old. She had been in her 50s. Mm, man, that sucks. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, and I think she was she was a fairly she was very influential and um, you know, I think people had seen her. I mean, she had really painted herself in a very unflattering light with this mem- with her memoir um you know, that talk about her, you know, experiences with depression. And, was that Prozac Nation? Is that what yeah, she wrote? Yeah, it was that okay. was Prozac Nation and I think I don't know, there was probably some sort of um outrage about um how she was too self indulgent or whatever and um but she's very like representative of this sort of of the story where you know it's like she had it all. She was a Yale graduate who had her dream law job. school graduate, right? She was a <laughs> uh, lawyer, right? If yeah, I remember so she, correctly, I think she like yeah. was a practicing lawyer or something. Yeah, or no, I think she failed the bar and then she was a writer or something like or something. But she, yeah, by one point she did pass the bar and practice, but yeah, I remember like in the in the last few years she got hired by Boy Schiller, which is like this very elite but small litigation firm uh-huh. started by David Boys, who most people probably know as being, I guess, on the losing side of Gore v. Bush or hmm. Bush v. Gore, whatever uh, that is. Uh, so he's like one of the few lawyers that maybe even non-lawyers can name. He has this firm and it's like, you can't even, even if you're probably like at the top of your class at Yale Law, you can't even work there. So uh-huh. the fact that she got hired was like big news. But so anyway, it's that's... like a very like boutique, is it like, it's like boutique elite. Yeah, it's like, you know, like uh, most big law firms, they'll, you know, they'll have like lots of cases or, or matters and they'll have a lot of clients. This, I think, is like a very specialized firm. I think they're based out of Albany, so they're not even New York City. So it's mm-hmm. like you got to really commit to working there and it, they're kind of like shrouded in mystery or whatever. So, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. Not very interesting. Like law <laughs> stuff, not interesting. All right, let's get to the more interesting stuff. No, no, Mental no. illness. Um. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, they're like the the narrative is always like, can you believe she she had it all the the mm-hmm. Yale the Yale degree the the beauty the brains but can you believe that she is actually depressed or struggling with a pill addiction or you know any number of the issues that these women write about? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like the twist is always that like you know how could you believe that someone who's so high functioning could also um, be a person who like suffers in a very in a really great way mm-hmm. um, yeah and um and also like for our uh, listeners like jane is basically like our our like gen z reconnaissance agent <laughs> so yeah I, th- I think you're more plugged into like like the social media of like very young people and stuff and I'm not. So, you know, just general sense I get. And, you know, like my friends and I, we kind of like, like to make fun of 
these people being like, you know, the type of people who list all their mental illnesses in their bio <laughs> as if they were trophies. Like, is this a real thing? Do you see this happening among your crowd? Um, and why um, do you think that is if that is the case? I, I mean, I don't have any friends personally who like identify very closely with their diagnoses or that's good (laughs) anything of that kind i have just but it is just something that i see and i'm like a little bit astounded by um it's like it's like they always say stuff like oh it's not the prussian olympics but i don't know i feel like you're kind of making it by you know Mm -hmm. listing all of your um you know because it's it's not it, it, it lists mental illness on the same spectrum of race and um, gender identity and sexuality right. and they're all sort of on the same like level um mm-hmm. uh so I, I don't know I, I don't know like how it's supposed to make people more trustworthy or relatable just by virtue of you know having having a label or um like identifying with something yeah and it's it, i mean, I, I think at, at a certain at the heart of it is probably some good intentioned uh, effort to, because you know there there was a time when being mentally ill was a huge stigma. True. And that was n- not good because there are some people who generally need help, really need help, but then they're you know afraid to come forward or they they don't even know they have it. So there is like a good element to saying, hey, you know what, nothing to be ashamed of. Let's be more open about it. But now it seems to have gone to the point where people are just making shit up. Yeah. Uh, to try to, you know, create this identity for themselves where they think it's cool and desirable to to be this or that. And I, I think a lot of them feel like it gives them a license to just be jerks. And you can mm-hmm. call me out on this because I have, uh, you know, disorder X or whatever. Right. Well, yeah, that, that yeah, you're, you are right. That I, I do believe it came from a place of wanting to destigmatize because because the portrayal of mental illness or you know things like depression and anxiety had been so extreme that i guess people wanted to show that there was a spectrum and you know even so-called normal people can be um didn't have this or that diagnosis um but what sort of ended up happening is that you know because there are these diagnostic criteria that people feel like they have to fit if you only fit, I don't know, seven out of the 12 um, symptoms or something, you, you know, a person might want to pretend or like act like they're actually sicker or more ADHD or whatever than they are just to be seen as more legitimate. So they have to, so they're, they end up in a position where they have to both overtly identify with and also have to play up the characteristics that um, make them, I don't know, like neurodivergent or uh, you know, mentally ill or you know whatever it is they are um experiencing Mm -hmm. so so why do you think uh incentivizes people to do this like okay let's take it as a you know let's work on the assumption that there is like a a spike in people uh identifying uh with some kind of mental illness so like it's either that uh for whatever reason uh people in in this time uh, are just crazier uh than people in previous times which you know I, I don't think is particularly likely given that in, in the big scheme of things life is way more comfortable at least in like america now than it was uh in any place or time before generally speaking um or uh, people are being led to just like kind of 
uh, either make things up or play things up? I mean, in your in your view, why do you think that is? Um, I mean, in like the broader sense, it probably has to do with just this sort of general lack of identity or sense of community or affiliation, like um, like having to you know really lean into being autistic, for example, because. Um, it's, I guess, a, a recognizable form of existence for other people. Um, I guess, it, it, you know, in, in, in the absence of something like, um, like really strong neighborhood ties or family heritage or um, something else, I guess, you know, I, I, my, my assumption is that a lot of these people are experiencing this, some form of alienation that leads them to have to lean into um, a label that isn't a label as opposed to like a real identity. Yeah, I, I do agree that. And and I've talked about this in previous pods, but, you know, with just these converging forces of like, you know, the internet and globalization and everything being interconnected, Essentially, like everybody wants to be a somebody in in the context of their world, and that I think it, the 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 ability to be that is becoming much harder because, like back in the day, your world was like your neighborhood or or your village or or whatever, and you know every one of those little circles has roles for people, and. Even back then, you had people who felt useless or outcast, but at least there were there were more of those circles, so there were just like more chances for people to to be some kind of have like a respected, esteemed role in whatever community. Right. right. But they now, felt, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, you're gonna say something. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like they felt like they had something to contribute and they had value to the to the people around them, like more in a more tangible way. Right. Uh, but now when everything is just pooled into this one gigantic, uh, like basically like a megapolis of of an online city, you have like a handful of people who, you know, take up everybody's like attention and um, sympathy and, and whatever. And everyone else just feels like just like a blob, part of a blob. Mm-hmm. And in, in that in that context, like how do you differentiate yourself? Well, there's like, there's like a really hard way, which is to become really good at something maybe uh, mm-hmm. and uh, be exceptional in whatever skill or, or trade or whatever. Uh, or you can carve out some identity, which uh, the great thing about is it's very status-based. So you can never lose it. Well, I guess you can cure yourself of something like mental illness, but I think a lot of people would say, well, you know, mental illness is like a lifelong affliction. You can't really cure it. So even better, it's you don't really have to work for it. You just have it. Which is why I think identity politics is so alluring in this day and age because it's just something you're born with. You don't have to get better at it. Uh, and it just automatically grants you um, the privilege of mattering. And mental illness is kind of like that, except it's you can get it in, in the same way you can't get, uh, like, say, race. or I mean, nowadays, gender, you can now be fluid in gender, so that's not entirely accurate and who knows maybe soon race will be fluid as well but <laughs> those things are kind of more you're born with it or you're not mental mm-hmm. illness is like anybody can get it so no wonder people are trying to to you know play it up yeah i mean we are kind of as a society like more privileged and over medicated than ever um 
And I also do think that part of wanting to play up the symptoms is also very closely related to wanting to be medicated and hoping and sort of like believing um, that the pharmaceuticals will help. Um, mm, okay. Uh, I may I may edit this part out if you don't want to answer it, but have you ever been on any kind of like medication related to this kind of stuff? Because I haven't, so I, I, I have no idea what it's like to be on um, this stuff. No, I've never, I've never have. I've done mm-hmm. like talk therapy and, you know, things like counseling um, and, and, you know, things like, you know, uh, like CBT or whatever, but um, never medication. And it, uh, I, I think mostly because it, uh, I've not been prescribed, but also it kind of scares me. I, I have definitely heard of negative side effects. And um, I, I think overall doctors are, you know, said to be very liberal with their prescriptions. Oh, yeah. They're probably getting paid under the table uh, right. for prescribing all this. I mean, I've heard theories about, you know, everyone's so obsessed with like like Gen Z not having enough sex, which is like a very weird obsession for <laughs> older people to have. But one of the, I think, leading theories is uh, they're all hopped up on these like SSRIs oh, and yeah. uh, all, you know. And, you know, because we've, we've, like you ever watch like The Sopranos or something? It's like, oh, why is Tony Soprano not able to get it up? Well, because he's on lithium. So we, we all kind of... <laughs> know that in the, in the back of our mind so I, I think that's just something uh we we jump to but that, that's like a whole mm-hmm. different episode topic <laughs> so um okay so what, why don't we talk about some things we specifically read or watched um just kind of in preparation for this pod so uh i mean we can start with um the stephanie foo memoir yes. the, what was it um, what my bones know mm-hmm. which i read the first 12 chapters i didn't get to the end um so you're gonna have to fill me on what happens but uh maybe you can tell our listeners what this book is all about um yeah so stephanie Fu is um is a journalist um who used to work for um npr's this american life or yeah i don't know if it's but you know public radio's this american life so she was very professionally accomplished and she survived a really traumatic childhood with two abusive parents who um were you know they beat her and they berated her um, and eventually they both like left and abandoned her and they let, they just like let her live in the house that they both, you know, did not live in. Um, and so she talks and, you know, because of those repeated adverse experiences, she develops CPTSD, um, short for complex PTSD, which, um, I mean, I felt like PTSD is already pretty complex. But that's... <laughs> exactly. So, it's like, what? so uh, there's some people like simple PTSD yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, no big deal. Just take a couple of aspirins. You're fine. <laughs> right. Um, but I guess CPTSD is a sort of a lesser known um, mental condition that, uh, that, that dis- that's distinguished from PTSD because it's caused by um, like a, a lot of trauma over a, a long series of time. You know, where PTSD can be happen after, you know, a car accident or, um, you know, one very, like, big traumatic thing. CPTSD is about, um, happens after experiencing, like, a lot of these different things. So, um, so I guess the symptoms are different and people are um, sort of misdiagnosed and they're said that, you know, they're said to have whatever depression, BPD. There's, like, a lot of, um, like, quote unquote, like, com- comorbid disorders and, um resulting treatments that have been that were in a very ineffective for the author um Mm -hmm. so she talks about her past she talks about her um and then she also talks about um the ways that 
you know, the this disease essentially made her a really, you know, very self-loathing, very hard on herself, unable to experience like, I guess, like very like long-term joy. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of, and, and just like impacted her life in a negative way. She went to therapy, she took medication. There are a lot of things that didn't work. And she was really shocked to learn that a lot of her problems came um, like you know both like health like actual like physical health problems as well as her um, social social issues that she experienced came from came from this disease and the 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 end of this book talks about sort of her um she she meets a um a, a psychiatrist who's a very like innovative who does like a sort of very like I guess a more innovative or different form of talk therapy where he um does these sorts of close readings of what she says and sort of forces her to become more metacognitive like oh you said you used this word why'd you use it and i don't know to try to like identify her triggers and um things like that uh I, I didn't read this book too closely but um i this the the interest this book really piqued my interest because i saw um on her website or some poll quote that was something like the very first memoir of CPTSD of this kind. And I was like, I don't know if that's an accomplishment that we should, I don't know, like <laughs> that, that we should be celebrating as a society. Um, I feel like it kind of attracts trauma vultures. Like I saw this one Goodreads review that said, oh, I saw this book was about, tr- about a female trauma and I <laughs> and I was so excited to read it or something like that. Excited? Well, yeah. Uh, but it's like, uh, well, first of all, I'm sure... If they say it's like the first book of this kind written about CTP or PTSD, it may be true, but obviously there have been a ton of people who have experienced multiple horrific events um, throughout the course of their lives, and then had all sorts of mental issues. And you know, I don't, I don't mean to downplay your problems because, like, you know, you read it and it's, you know, I mean, I don't say this in a particularly negative way, but it's very like. Asian immigrant trauma porn kind of thing. Like, oh, my mom never thought I was good enough. She called me ugly. She beat me. And, you know, my dad kind of ran hot and cold. Sometimes he could be like really nice and fun and sweet. Other times he would just like disappear and and also like, you know, berate me or whatever. But, okay, you know, I will say this. Like when she says her parents abandoned her, she was kind of like 16. It wasn't like she was like a little kid. She did have a house. Again, I'm not trying to downplay her, but when <laughs> I, when I read the synopsis, when, when I read the synopsis, I thought she was like, like you know, some like Dickensian uh, orphan, you know, roaming the streets. Uh, but you know, I, again, like I don't want to downplay her problem. She she does sound like she had a difficult childhood. Uh, but you know, as you said, kind of alluded to earlier, yeah, she did work at NPR, basically like the you know, the, the epicenter of like elite white liberalism. And not only that, This American Life, like their flagship podcast, mm-hmm. she was quite good at it. And then, you know, she, she talks about her issues, like a boss who doesn't really appreciate what she does. She's kind of like mean to her friends or something. Um, but I, I you made this criticism. It's, it's never quite specific what she says. Like she yeah. says, like, in high school, I like acted out and everyone knew me as a bitch, but it's not quite specific. Right. What exactly that means. She like she talks she alludes to I don't know blowing up at her husband or being like acting selfish in some way, but she never really puts her reputation on the line, um, which 
is um, personally something that I would prefer in a memoir is um, um, I, I understand that she doesn't like might not want to make this entirely about herself because she's um, has to write with this perspective of oh I'm I actually want to help these people who um, you know might have CPTSD or and, and don't know it or they have a loved one that they want to support or you know something like that but I, I wish from the perspective of from a narrative uh, like a character narrative perspective. Um, I, I really wish she had been more specific and talked about an instance in which she did something truly terrible. Like, I feel like right. then I would have trusted her more as an author. Right. And then and uh, you, you made this point where you, th- you think, like, the, the whole point of these, you know, mental health memoirs is kind of like a step in, in, in their career to, to get somewhere else, as opposed to, like, this is um, something I need to, get off my chest and fuck all to whatever happens next. This, this is like, I just got to say this. So you, you want to talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, if she's 32 and still living, that's um, obviously uh, that is, you know, as with anyone still being alive, that's, that's amazing. That's great. But her perspective is definitely not as valuable as someone who would be, I don't know, 70 and actively living with CPTSD and coping with it. It's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, by the time she's 70, we probably won't even call it CPTSD anymore. We'll probably have some other name. Um, <laughs> and I think as a journalist, I think she just didn't want to be scooped. So she had to, at the age of 32 or whatever, um, you know, get this book in the pipeline, like pray to God that no other like Asian American person was writing their CPTSD <laughs> memoir. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, just, just get that story out there because, you know, while she can still get these speaking gigs, um, which, okay. I mean, it's a little, that's a little mean, but, but you know, th- no, these no, are no, also be, supposed be to- Be as mean as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want her to, I feel like she probably, <laughs> um, she might be sensitive to this, but, uh, but this is not really to insult her. It's just to, it's just kind of the the nature of the game is that it you're, you really can't put your reputation on the line in your memoir because this is supposed to be your career, you know, professional portfolio. Right, but then that kind of like defeats the whole purpose of a memoir, right? Because it's like the the reason why people will be drawn to this as opposed to say, you know, you could have written a novel like a thinly veiled version of, you know, someone named. Melanie Chu, <laughs> who uh, you know has a CTPSD as well, but you know the, the lure of a memoir is ooh, you're getting the the raw, juicy story. But then mm-hmm. if you're not gonna be honest, or you, you, you're gonna kind of like, you know, I'm not gonna say she's not honest because I, I I have no idea what her real life is. But okay, okay, let's pull back from this book uh, and then say like all all this, and then I mean you you reference other things like Cat Marnell's uh, how to how to f- murder your life memoir <laughs> um and and you know the you, you mentioned the elizabeth wurzel book and other ones along this line it's like yeah you're, you're talking about mental illness but you're you're you're, ta- you're talking about like the most um kind of like traditionally feminine appealing type of mental illness the type that you know uh, i think you said like uh, like makes you fuck better uh makes you lose weight <laughs> makes you uh uh you know as as a result like more attractive at least under certain standards mm-hmm. and uh it, it it kind of puts you in the position of this like damsel in distress where everybody is concerned about your histrionics and everybody 
wants to ask you what's wrong and it's it's very kind of very traditionalist in that way yeah i i don't think that these people are the voice for the you know the people who would be you know institutionalized in the 60s or something oh hell no i mean (laughs) you've seen what uh one flew over cuckoo's nest right oh yeah yeah that's like um uh yeah (laughs) Um, nobody nobody wants to be in that that crowd uh that's like some real troubled people or or you ever seen amadeus um no i haven't okay well like salieri is is, you know he's like he's like decrepit in a a mental institution and uh, you know it's it's like horrible they they have like these people in like cages and stuff like and actual uh uh mental illness and i mean you hear the horror stories about lobotomies which they've which they used to do until I think at least the 60s, maybe even 70s. Mm-hmm. It's not some glamorous, um, like, cocktail party, the way a lot of these people right. make it seem to be. And to be honest, they kind of, I feel like it's people who do think that there is something very glamorous about being in the mental hospital. Um, because there's a sort of, it's. I think, like, Kat Marnell talks about this, but, you know, it's also seen around, I don't know, like, the bell jar, or not the bell jar exactly, but, but girls who worship the bell jar um, mm-hmm. on the internet will will really like kind of worship this legacy of being this tortured, um, this beautiful tortured waif who went to the same um, mental health treatment facility as um, Edie Sedgwick or something. It's mm-hmm. like I don't know. I think you know, going back to the part about community, there's a sort of this idea of um, mental illness being sort of a, a a way to affiliate yourself with um i guess like it girls or or like other glamorous yeah, sure. tortured women like sylvia plath yeah and yeah precisely because i mean there are all sorts of mental illnesses uh they're just focusing on the ones that at, at least in in their maybe even fictionalized version just happens to make you more beautiful more exciting more uh, interesting, um, thinner. It's never the mental illness that like makes you uh, meaner, fatter, <laughs> uh, uglier, uh, more disgusting, right? It's yeah. it's um, yeah, it's yeah, it's like my schizophrenia gave me the edge to write really good photo captions for Jezebel.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, spe- uh, I mean, uh, speaking of Jezebel online publications, um, all right. Let's let's go to ExoJane because this is something you want to you brought up at some point. So, uh, what is ExoJane? Um, it is kind of uh, I think an artifact of the early 2010s, but uh, you know people still talk about it. Mm-hmm. I read a few articles on it uh, up when it was published. What is it? Yeah. So ExoJane was this site started by um, Jane Pratt, who was. Um, you know, in the 90s, she was like, you know, like Chloe Sevigny, like, uh, I don't know, Sonic Youth and stuff. She had this magazine called Sassy that was really, um, I guess, the defined what was cool um, at that time for for teen, for, I guess, semi-alternative teen girls. Um, and so she's sort of considered legacy media. And then she um, transferred to starting this website called ExoJane, which had the most insane clickbait um, personal essays. Um, like, 
um, I had a tampon in for three weeks and here's what the doctor told me, <laughs> or um, I'm glad my friend died actually. And these, you know, for $50 a pop, people would sell their deepest, darkest, darkest secrets to the internet. And, um, you know, it, it was just, it was just like, uh, you know, fast food type of reading um, that I guess was part of the whole like personal essay industrial complex that encouraged people to write about the worst most traumatic things that happened to them for clout yeah and that was that that like i think eventually got a lot of criticism because you got a lot of these writers almost exclusively young women i mean nobody's really interested in like a young dude talking about his trauma so you know they would bare their souls uh and then the internet would feast on it, often generate a lot of hate clicks, and then they would just get discarded. Um, mm -hmm. Axel Jane first came on my radar, I think it was like 2011, uh, when there was uh, this writer named Jenny Ahn. She wrote this article, very infamous article, where she was like, I'm an Asian woman, and this is why I refuse to date Asian men. And this was like the, the like first salvo in this kind of like online Asian American gender wars, which I think is kind of winding to an end. It's like it's, it's had like a decade of run. I think people have said everything that's needed to be said. And I do think we're kind of moving on to, to the next steps. But I remember this being one of the first uh, like sparks in it. And she got a lot of hate. And I actually exchanged a few emails with her at the time. And, oh. you know, she seemed like a very uh, like well-spoken, thoughtful person. But you read the essay and you just feel like, oh, who's this bitch? You know, like that. And I'm sure the website got a lot of clicks for it. I haven't heard anything from her since. So I really hope that this like article didn't ruin her. Yeah. But uh, I, I remember that thing you said about like my, my friend died or something. I think that was like the most infamous article mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was published. What was the gist of it again? What was it? It, it was like, it was, I'm happy my friend died. <laughs> why was she happy though? Again, was she jealous of her friend? Like what, I, what was this about? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. I feel like it, it was probably in some sense, deeply unsympathetic. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, maybe she was annoyed by her or whatever. But yeah, I, I think after that, people were like, okay, this has gone too far. This is very exploitative. Uh, but I think there's a link between that and just, you know, this like culture that encourages, especially like young women to just completely humiliate themselves for attention and sympathy. I mean, there's that whole like women posting their L's thing, which is like very mm -hmm. old and everyone knows what that's about. But often my friend, like my male friends and I, we often like wonder like, why, why would anyone post that? It's, it's like, and, and we have all sorts of theories, like are, are they humble bragging? Are they wine bragging? But I, I, I think it is, it may just be come down to, hey, whatever gets attention, uh, whether it be um, something good or something as what, what should be like a private affair, like, you know, displaying your mental illness. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, actually, that's interesting. I think back then, because, you know, like algorithms and stuff were not as sophisticated. There was a sort of meritocracy to the internet. Like, <laughs> um, like the, the article that did get the most clicks on Facebook would be the article that had the most attention-grabbing headline. Um, and there was something... Um, there, you know, there was something very, you know, captivating about this, you know, voyeuristic, about these very, like, voyeuristic um, essays. I think maybe, maybe because there were so many L's, so much, so many <laughs> horrible things, 
um, this actually, you know, under the guise of normalizing <laughs> whatever, I don't know, leaving a tampon in for three weeks or whatever, um, this this kind of made it okay for more women to write memoirs about their um, struggles because they're like, actually, all women are like this or something like that. There's something that, uh, going back to what we said about the you know, just like the technology and online world just, you know, shoving more and more people aside into just not mattering. You've seen American Beauty, right? The movie? Uh-huh. Okay. There, there's like a line uh, said by the, uh, the Mina Sovari character who is this, who's who's like the, um, I guess she's a little too old to be a nymphette. I think she's well, like she 16-ish. Was, yeah, it was like the her, her name is an anagram for like, Dolores knows or something like that. <laughs> Some Lolita reference, right? Wait, really? Well, there's no D in her name, but oh, it, it's, uh, Lolita okay, it's very knows. curious. I don't know. Uh, well, there's oh, no, no. Oh. Um, it was like Lester, what's his face? It was an anagram for Humbert Learns. That's what it was. Oh, okay. All right. So anyway, uh, she has this line where she says, uh, like, I think the worst thing to be in the world is to be ordinary. Even worse than being like a failure or just like, a complete reject from society is to just be normal and ordinary. And so I think this shows that this is not exactly a new sentiment that people have. It's been, I'm sure it's been present all of, you know, way back in like, you know, the BC era and stuff, but it is like accelerated by the just ability of everyone to know everyone's business for like all the traditional kind of protections and and borders that people had in their like social circles uh, to be pretty much opened up into this like f- total free market of social competition where mm-hmm. you like even if you live uh, uh, on the other side of the world um, you are now in direct competition for attention for popularity for relevance all that and. And you know, with with something like like mental illness, it is just another category to to try to stand out. And you know, as I said before, it is very appealing uh, in the fact that it doesn't necessarily it doesn't have to be earned. It's not something that, let's say, you you want to stand out in some way, and you want to be I don't know a great acrobat. Uh, that takes a lot of skill. You know, you might have to like risk your life and health to do that. No, you just like just say I got this mental illness, and that makes me not ordinary and like nobody wants to be ordinary well maybe that is one of those you know like the byproduct of globalization in the sense that being special is very is kind of an american value um you know and and that and that sort of you know know, it's american value in combination with you know free market capitalism i think it's an easy one of the easier values to spread this idea that oh actually if you have um some sort of competitive edge you will be more equipped in the global scale to to compete but it's not it's like in existential way and not even just like oh you know about jobs or job security or something like that um i don't know it's probably some kind of like mark fisher type of argument i actually don't know Actually, no, no. Scrap that. <laughs> no, no, um, no. It, I, I think I think people will know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So you mentioned something about girl interrupted syndrome. I've actually never watched that movie. I've heard of it. Uh, I, I just know of it as the movie that 
pretty much launch Angelina Jolie's character. I mean, uh, her career. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is this movie? Why is it so appealing? Like, it came out ninety nine, right, or maybe two thousand. Yeah. Twenty years later, why are people still talking about it? What's the uh, deal with this? Well, I don't know. If pe- I think people. Um, it's part of like the starter pack of um, being a, a hot, depressed, sad girl or whatever. Yeah. Uh, like the Spotify playlist or something. Um, it's. You know, it's basically, I mean, it's basically One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but girls. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there's like this viral TikTok audio that was <laughs> from an episode of Red Scare that was about, a, you know, the, the host is saying, you know, she, she's like, oh, I'm definitely guilty of having girl interrupted syndrome through my, in my youth. I, I was, you know, always saying like, oh, I'm so special and tortured. You should probably stay away from me because I'm like damaged and promise you won't fall in love with me okay <laughs> wait wait so, so what, what's exactly the, the plot of the movie oh, i no. just know that yeah, we don't yeah. know writers in it and angelina jolie's in it that's all i know <laughs> uh, oh yeah the the plot is there's a bunch of girls in the institution and they all okay. have a different they all have a different little they all have a different affliction um so angelina jolie's mm-hmm. character is a sociopath um and um if you really enjoy feeling um, shot in Freuda, i would say you should google um, you should look up people um, using that Angelina Jolie monologue in their acting reels because it's. Um, Can you give me a gist of this monologue? It, I don't know. She's saying she says so. Basically, I think there's this part where she's she's mad at the Winona. She's acting out at the Winona Ryder character. Okay. Um, but by saying you know because the Winona Ryder, I guess, is like actually you're a terrible person. Like I can't believe I I trusted you or something like that. And she's like, well, you're just as bad as me, and actually I made you better. I don't know something something. It, it was like a big villain moment for her. Um, that, for, for the end of you know Jolie character. Yes, yes. For, okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think she was she was kind of relishing on all the the horrible things that she was she was doing. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess yeah. Girl interrupted basically. Yeah, a um, bunch of girls. They're they all have a different you know issue that they're that they're struggling with. And Winona Ryder's character is this sort of you know comes in having with the with the BPD diagnosis, but she's also I guess like the the Trojan horse or something for all of these all of these girl stories. I see. All right, for our listeners who might not know, like what what is BPD? Um, what's up with that? Um, a BPD is it's borderline personality disorder, mm-hmm. and um, in in recent times, I guess people have sort of used to BPD as a shorthand for crazy female behavior, <laughs> like such as um, uh, like like they, like they talk about I don't know like when women are self destructive and cheat constantly and um um act out in some way or just are unstable but also in a really like cruel and damaged and um attractive way (laughs) it's like bpd are are you talking about like say like cutting or are you talking about just being hysterical or yeah it's sort of being like crazy jealous like what's going on um definitely the crazy jealous it's like um this is you know, like the the kind of girl that you can't break up with because she's gonna threaten suicide or something. Mm, okay, I see. Yeah, but it's just like those are like really like basically you know they take the most like stigmatizing stereotypes of this illness and also conflate them with a bunch of other ones like I don't know by bi- being bipolar, which was 
uh, or uh, you know usually like actually like the symptoms of CPTSD or something a lot of these are just conflated but um, for some reason I think BPD really popped off as a as a descriptor for uh, supposedly a, a type of woman that exists um, typically young mm-hmm yeah, speaking of uh, bipolar, I remember this part in the uh, the Stephanie Fu memoir where she's like talking with her therapist, and she's like, "Do you think I have BP? Uh, not BPD, uh, bipolar disorder?" And and her therapist is like, "No, you don't." And I, I just got the sense that she was kind of disappointed in that because it's like, "Ooh, you know, bipolar disorder." That's like that, everyone knows that, and it's I don't know. I don't think it has like at least in in the context of our times that that negativity to it. I mean, there's certain um, mental disorders that are more kind of like socially radioactive like say like asperger's like you know people kind of don't want to hang out with those people but you know bipolar disorder hey you know what you can be kind of like crazy fun i don't know so (laughs) i I, I was just kind of there was like oh it's highs and lows or something but i I think yeah stephanie who had talked about how stigmatizing cptsd was and i kind of disagreed because i feel like bpd totally CPTSD is totally not on the radar of most people, and the stereotype for BPD is that they're totally like untreatable, and that most of them are just like too damaged to like survive the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, like these two are often mixed up for each other. So I was thinking, like, I don't know. I feel like the actual people with BPD have it way worse in terms of you know, being stereotyped because CPTSD automatically you assume, oh, something bad happened to you. That's like not the same thing as a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So another point you want to talk about is this whole genre of these like beautifully damaged women with mental illness. Is, is it inherently white? And is there any significant difference when uh, a person of color, like, like a woman of color, contributes to it uh why why do people care so much about representation in what is should be kind of like an undesirable feel like why why should you want to be mentally ill like kind of in a in a sane world but we kind of live in an insane world at times so yeah you you want to speak more about that i mean i would say that the there's you know obviously like mental illness is very stigmatized in in the most tenses and i think the sort of um, like New York Times op-ed answer would be um, like women of color can't afford to write about how they're damaged or dysfunctional in some way because this means that we will no longer be given opportunities and we'll be treated like um, we'll be you know more vulnerable to being treated like pariahs or something um, yeah I, but I will say you know there have been you know, some women of color who have um, been pioneers in this field, perhaps um, Roxanne Gay um, would be one of them. Um, What's your opinion on Roxanne Gay? I've never read her books, but I, I have like friends who have very strong, really negative opinions about her. So. Um, I mean, if I did not, if I totally ignored everything she was online and I had mm-hmm. only read bad feminist and her memoir hunger i feel like okay good writer like very accessible mm-hmm. she's a very she's very accessible prose style that i think is mm-hmm. um a, a very big skill of hers i see but yes yeah, cool. so yes it's um very very approachable well yeah i, I wanted yeah that was 
that was yeah I did want to know like that that was a criticism about like the whiteness of of mental illness memoirs that that was a criticism that's like often levied against people like Kat Marnell or Elizabeth Wurzel or um or, or so I assume but yeah I, I did I was curious as to like what like what you thought about it, it, whether you thought this was like an exclusively white you know a, a white coded genre or if there was you know a very if it's white or if it's you know I don't want to say like POC friendly or if there's a part of it that is like very well catered towards an Asian American author or audience. Well, I think the whole genre is extremely, I think it strives for this is like supremely feminine ideal, not feminist ideals. In fact, it's quite, I think, I think that is one of these are cognitive dissonances with a lot of people probably uh, do uphold themselves as, these like stridently feminist women yet this this whole genre you, you take a look at it and it's all about these helpless uh kind of like diminishing uh, both like literally and figuratively women who seem to be in need of rescue and um and that's the appeal of it and that's why people want to be in it uh even if they don't want to admit it and if, if you're gonna do that of course who is you know top dogs in this like feminine hierarchy it's gonna be it's gonna be a white girl so it, it just defaults to it and so it's even if it's not intentionally so it's gonna it's gonna be like that and then like there was that uh id vice article that you linked where it was i i'm assuming that the right is a black woman because it's, it's all about how like black women don't fit into this ideal of this um kind of damaged nihilistic uh women but but then the question is like why do you want to be in that in the first place and i think and and, and the answer i think is pretty obvious because it, it is striving for this uh very traditionally feminine ideal that no matter what all these like socially progressive types say about wanting to like break gender stereotypes a lot of them do want to fit into this uh ideal and I think a lot of them kind of maybe hate themselves for it, uh, but it's it's like, well, if it is that bad, why why do you want to be in it? It's because it's <laughs> if it really sucks, everyone just run away from it and be like, oh, you can have that. That's that sucks. It's 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 degrading and it's embarrassing. And it's cringe. Please just monopolize it all you want. But I mean, I, I've read pieces where it's not necessarily about like mental illness, but it's always like you know about these like you know the whole like sad girl genre of you know like sally rooney and all that it's like where are the women of color in this and be like well if, if you didn't want it so much why do you why, why would you want to be in it because you know you talk about how boring these people are then you know so it's like you know any kind of like minority who complains about not being included in the in the world of, of a sally rooney or lena dunham or, or sophia coppola or these types are clearly wanting to wanting inclusion in this because if, if you really didn't like it you would just be like oh i got something better going on so you losers can have this uh lame ass space listeners that's it for part one if you'd like to listen to part two please become a patreon subscriber you can do that at www.patreon.com slash plan a mag links are in the show notes as well so uh, catch you over in part two then